Interior Golden Palace. Ever since you were a boy, you've dreamt of being Kung Fu Guy. You are not Kung Fu Guy. You are currently Oriental Guy making a weird face, but you've been practicing. Maybe tomorrow will be the day. Take what you can get. Tried to build a life. A life at the margin, made from bit parts. Willis Wu, Asian actor. Skills. Kung Fu, moderate proficiency. Fluent in accented English. Able to do face of great shame on command. Resume repertoire. Disgraced son. Delivery guy. Silent henchman. Caught between two worlds. Guy who runs in and gets kicked in the face. Striving immigrant. Generic Asian man. Your mother has played in no particular order. Pretty oriental flower. Asiatic seductress. Young dragon lady. Slightly less young dragon lady. Restaurant hostess. Girl with the almond eyes. Beautiful maiden number one. Dead beautiful maiden number one. Old Asian woman. Your father has been, at various times, twin dragon, wizened Chinaman, guy in a soiled t-shirt, inscrutable grocery owner in a soiled t-shirt, egg roll cook, young Asian man, Shifu, the mysterious Kung Fu master, old Asian man. Interior, Golden Palace, morning. In the world of black and white, everyone starts out as generic Asian man. Everyone who looks like you, anyway. Unless you're a woman, in which case, you start out as pretty Asian woman. You all work at Golden Palace, formerly Jade Palace, formerly Palace of Good Fortune. There's an aquarium in the front and cloudy tanks of rock crabs and two-pound lobsters crawling all over each other in the back. Laminated menus offer the lunch special, which comes with a bowl of fluffy white rice and choice of soup, egg drop, or hot and sour. A neon Qingtao sign blinks and buzzes behind the bar in the dimly lit space a dropped ceiling room with lacquered ornate woodwork, or some imitation thereof. Everything simmering in a warm, seedy red glow thrown off by the dollar store paper lanterns festooned above, many of them darkened by dead moths, the paper yellowing, ripping, curling in on itself. The bar is fully stocked with top-shelf spirits up top, middle shelf liquor at eye level, and down at the bottom, a happy hour shelf of booze that you will regret for sure. The new thing everyone is excited about is called the lychee margarita teeny, which seems like a lot of flavors. Not that you've had one. They're 14 bucks. Sometimes patron leave a sip at the bottom of the glass, and if you're quick, while you go through the swinging door that separates the front of the house from the back, you can have a taste. You've seen some of the other generic Asian men do it. It's a risk, though. 
The director's always got an eye out, ready to fire someone for their smallest infraction. You wear the uniform, white shirt, black pants, black slipper-like shoes that have no traction whatsoever. Your haircut is not good, to say the least. Black and white always look good. A lot of it has to do with the light. They're the heroes. They get hero lighting designed to hit their faces just right. Designed to hit white faces just right anyway. Someday you want the light to hit your face like that, to look like the hero, or for a moment to actually be the hero. Roles. First, you have to work your way up. Starting from the bottom, it goes five, background oriental male, four, dead Asian man, three, generic Asian man number three, delivery guy, two, generic Asian man number two, waiter, one, generic Asian man number one. And then if you make it that far, hardly anyone does. You get stuck at number one for a while and hope and pray for the light to find you and that when it does, you'll have something to say. And when you say that something, it will just come out right, come out just right and have everyone in black and white turning their heads saying, wow, who is that? That is not just some generic Asian man. That is a star. Maybe not a real regular star. Let's not get crazy. We were talking about Chinatown here, but perhaps a very special guest star, which for your people is the ceiling, is the terminal, ultimate, exalted position for any Asian working in this world. The thing every Oriental male dreams of when he's in the background, trying to blend in. Kung Fu Guy. Kung Fu Guy is not like the other slots in the hierarchy. There isn't always someone occupying the position, as in whoever the top guy is at any given time. That's the default guy who gets trotted out whenever there's kung fu to be done. Only a very special Asian can be worthy of the title. It takes years of dedication and sacrifice, and after all that, only a few have even a slim chance of making it. Despite the odds, you all grew up training for this, and only this. All the scrawny yellow boys up and down the block, dreaming the same dream. Interior Golden Palace. Ever since you were a boy, you've dreamt of being Kung Fu Guy. You are still not Kung Fu Guy. You are currently generic Asian man number three, delivery guy. Your Kung Fu is B, B plus on a good day, and Shifu once proclaimed your drunken monkey to be nearly at a level of competence that he could perhaps at some point in the future imagine not being completely embarrassed of you. Which, if you know him well, that's a big deal. To be honest, though, it can sometimes be hard to tell with Shifu, who is famously inscrutable. If you could only show him what you've become, all you want is for him to make that face, the one that looks like internal distress, possibly of a gastrointestinal nature, but actually indicates 
something closer to deeply repressed secret pride. Honorable father has for his young but promising son means deliciously bittersweet pain that comes from knowing honorable teacher is no longer needed. That's how you see it in your head. He would make that face, smile, you'd smile back. Credits roll and you'd walk off, arm in arm, to the horizon. Old Asian Man These days he is mostly old Asian man. No longer Shifu with the pants and the muscles and the look in his eye. All of that is gone now, but when did it happen? Over years and overnight. The day you first noticed, you'd shown up a few minutes early for weekly lesson. Maybe that's what threw him off. When he, rec- when he answered the door, it took him a moment to recognize you. Two seconds or twenty. A frozen eternity, then. As he regained himself, his familiar scowl barking your name. Willis Wu! Half exclamation, half confirmation, as if verifying for both of you and himself that he hadn't forgotten. Willis Wu, he said again. Well, come on, what are you doing? Don't just stand there in the doorway like a dum-dum. Come in, son. Let's get started. He was fine for the rest of the day, mostly, but you couldn't stop thinking about the look he gave you. Oblivion or terror. And for the first time, you noticed the mess his room had become. Not unusual for any other man who's aged living alone, but for Shifu, who taught and valued order and simplicity in all things, to have allowed his dwelling to reach the state of disorganization should have been a warning sign to all. Maybe not the first, but the first one that came to your attention. Fatty Choi went around telling everyone that Shifu was on food stamps, saying, how gullible can you be? You idiots think being wizened Chinaman plays well? Are you crazy? Why do you think he fishes bottles and cans out of the trash? But no one wanted to believe it, at least in public. In private, the thought did occur. Shifu never had the lights on, said it was to train the senses. He saved everything, disposable chopsticks, free glossy calendars from East West Bank, good for wrapping fish or fruit, packets of soy sauce, and chili paste from the dollar Chinese down the street. He'd patched his old fake leather couch so many times there were cracks on the patches, which of course he also patched. The Formica two-top he ate on was the first and only kitchen table he'd ever bought, purchased for $7.50 from the salvage bin at the old restaurant supply warehouse down on Jackson and 8th, that place long gone now, converted to interior, rave, grimy club scene. But the table's still there in the kitchen. An artifact of the previous century, it had worn down to a smoothness, so comforting and cool it felt soft to the touch. The patterns of use, hundreds, thousands of meals together, in the corner of that small, low-ceilinged room, the surface preserving the teachings of Shifu, wisdom over time recorded in the warp and wear 
in the markings of the modest table itself. Come to think of it, Fatty Choi, despite the fact that he was and had always been a total gas bag, a mostly insufferable, close-talking blowhard, made all the more insufferable by the fact that he was not infrequently right about things, was simply stating that what you all knew but didn't want to admit, Shifu had gotten old. It was easy to lie to yourself about it. Although, naively, you believed he had, by some miracle of genetics and sheer follicular willpower, managed to reach his seventh decade without a single hair turning gray. In hindsight, you remember once seeing an empty box of natural seaweed coloring in his wastebasket, Shifu emerging from his room with the occasional smear where he'd gotten a little careless and ended up painting the top edge of his forehead, a swath of kelpish green. And even if he could still break a cinder block with three fingers, that was nothing compared to back in the day, his younger self, when he could do it with just one, a single powerful blow of any digit. You pick. You couldn't bear to watch, peeking through your fingers when you were little, and as you got older, still wincing in expectation of painful failure. But young Shifu never failed. He always found the necessary reserves of qi, was able to summon forth from whatever intangible reservoir the required force to smash through it, and everyone gathered around would clap and shout their praise at the latest demonstration of Shifu's mind over matter, mental and physical, an impossible feat right there in the alley behind the kitchen in the middle of a Tuesday. At the sound of the exploding energy, you would uncover your eyes and exhale with grief, with relief, proud and grateful that he had done it once again, hadn't mangled his hand, and also slightly ashamed by your lack of faith, when everyone else, the assembled friends and strangers, had never doubted him in the slightest. Your earliest memories of him as a young dragon, a rising star, thick, straight hair the color of night, combed slowly and carefully straight back in a lustrous wave. Forearms like steel barrels lifting you out of the makeshift playpen in the corner of the room and flying you around up above his head, almost crashing into the bed and the lamp and the ceiling as you laughed and laughed until your mother said, Sio Sim, Sio Sim, that's enough, Ming, please, stop before he gets sick. And he'd do one more revolution before settling you down safely, your feet back on solid ground, the world still spinning. Whether we admitted to it or not, and sometimes you did admit it to yourself, right before falling asleep, in the way thoughts like this come to you. Your first, best, and only real master, the source of all your kung fu knowledge, was no longer himself. He had aged out of his role and into the next one, his life force depleting with every exertion. Wisdom and power leaking from him with each passing day and night. He'd played his role for so long He'd lost himself in it, 
before some separation that happened gradually over decades, and then you waking one day to feel it, some distance that had crept in overnight. Some formal space you could no longer cross. He'd always be your father, but somehow was no longer your dad. No longer running up walls, no more leaping from the curved roof eaves of the Bank of America pagoda. More often found nodding off during a meal, eaten alone, in front of the six o'clock news. Long after you'd graduated into an adult role, you still continued coming to him for these weekly lessons, but the lessons had turned into flimsy pretense, layered atop their real purpose. Your delivery of provisions on which your old man depended. A few groceries, toilet paper, his various prescriptions. Putting things out so they'd be easy for him to access. Wiping the floor as best as you could. There was only so much time. Checking for dampness on his mattress pad. Changing it if necessary. Picking up laundry. Sweeping from his nightstand the accumulation of balled-up napkins enclosing clots of dried phlegm and blood. More napkins behind the nightstand and all around. A half-eaten pair under the formica table. There, since the day after your last visit, having dropped and rolled to a stop right in that very spot, left to slowly rot, the gentle descent into squalor, not a function of sloth, but simple physical inability. I'm sorry, I can't reach it. It's okay, Ba, I got it. The apologies, the true sign that this was not the man you once knew. A man who would never have uttered that word to his son, sorry, and in English, no less. Not because he thought himself infallible, but because of his belief that a family should never have to say sorry or please, or thank you, for that matter. These things being redundant, being contradictory to the parent-son relationship, needing to remain unstated always, these things being the invisible fabric of what a family is. You did what you could, despite being gener generally ignored. Shifu now, old Asian man, having forgotten not just his kung fu technique, but also his most loyal student, regarding you with a blank, if slightly wary amiability, as one might endure an overbearing but helpful stranger. Your relationship having turned into a pantomime, a series of gestures in a well-worn scene, played out again and again, any underlying feeling having long since been obviated by emotional muscle memory. Learning how to make the right faces, strike the right poses, not out of apathy or lack of sincerity, rather a need to preserve what was left of his pride. The trick was learning what not to say, to enter the theater of his dotage quietly, sit there in the dark and not ask him any question, however simple, that might cause momentary confusion might turn your rote interactions into something too raw. Remind yourselves, or each other, of what was happening here, the inversion of the relationship, 
the care and the feeding. The brute fact of physical dependency. If you don't do this, he can't do it for himself. If you miss a week, he sits in the dark. Not that he'll die, although there is always that possibility. But he'll be lonelier that day, hungrier. He'll lose something or drop something or break something and have to wait for you to call or come by. Staying in character avoided all of that, allowed you to prolong your respective roles for just a bit longer, and in a good week, when things were going along relatively well, you could get by, could walk through your blocking and lines, make it to the end of the day. But on bad days, or if you'd stayed too long, his patience or working memory would reach its limit, and he'd edge into a twilight distrust, fear in his eyes. Even on the worst days, he never completely forgot you for more than a minute or two. Somehow in his paranoia, you sensed he always knew that you were someone to him. You suspect that only made him more afraid of you, your presence a vague familiarity triggering in some deep part of his memory, an inchoate, low-level anxiety, the son returning home, the lost son come to assert his right to challenge the father. In the months since, he eventually settled into a new, diminished equilibrium, even began to work again, as old Asian cook or old Asian guy smoking, which was rough, was a hard thing to see for anyone who'd known him back when, known what he'd been capable of. A new role, a new phase of life, it could be a way of starting fresh, the slate wiped clean. But the old parts are always underneath, layers upon layers accumulating, which was the problem. No one in Chinatown able to separate the past from the present always seeing in him and in each other in yourselves all of his former incarnations the characters he'd played in your minds long after the parts had ended in that way shifu had gotten this old without anyone noticing including your mother deemed to have aged out of asian seductress no longer a girl with the asian almond eyes now old Asian woman living down the hall, their marriage having entered its own dusky phase, bound for eternity but separate in life. The rationale being that she needed to continue to work in order to be able to support him, and for that she needed a minimum amount of rest and peace of mind, all true, and that they were better apart than together also true. The reality being that they'd lost the plot somewhere along the way, their once great romance spun into a period piece, into an immigrant family story, and then into a story about two people trying to get by. And it was just that, getting by. Barely and no more because they'd also, in the way old people often do, slip gently into poverty, also without anyone noticing. Poor is relative, of course. None of you were rich 
or had any dreams of being rich or even knew anyone rich. But the widest gulf in the world is the distance between getting by and not quite getting by. Crossing that gap can happen in a hundred ways, almost all by accident. Bad day at work and or kid has a fever and or miss the bus and consequently late 10 minutes late to the audition, which equals you don't get to play the part of background oriental with downtrodden face, which equals stretch the dollar that week, boil chicken bones twice for a watery soup, make the bottom of the bag of rice, last another dinner or three. Cross that gap and everything changes. Being on this side of it means that time becomes your enemy. You don't grind the day, the day grinds you. With the passing of each month, your embarrassment compounds, accumulates with the inevitability of a simple arithmetic truth. X is less than Y and there's nothing to be done about that. The Daily Mail bringing with it fresh dread or relief, but if the latter, only the most temporary kind. Restarting the clock on the countdown to the next bill or past due notice or collection agency call. Shifu, like many others, interior Chinatown, SRO, had without warning or complaint slid just under the line so quietly it was easy to minimize how painful it must have been. The pain of having once been young, with muscles, still able to work. To have lived an entire life of productivity, of self-sufficiency, having been a net giver, never a taker, never relying on others. To call oneself master, to hold oneself out as a source of expertise. To have had the courage and ability and discipline that added up to a meaningful, perhaps even noteworthy life, built over decades from nothing, and then at some point in that serious life, finding oneself searching for calories, knowing what time of day the restaurant tosses its leftover steamed pork buns, not in a position to turn down any food, however obtained, eyeing the markdown bins in the 99-cent store, full of dense, sugary bricks and slabs and disc-sized cookies, not food really, really only meant for children, something to fill the belly of a person who once took himself seriously. Buying this food without hesitation, necessity overcoming any shame in simply eating it, and not just eating it, Swallowing it down more quickly than intended, a young man's dignity replaced by a newly acquired clumsiness, the hands and mouth and belly knowing what the heart and head had not yet come to terms with, hunger. Nothing like an empty stomach to remind you what you are. To be fair, it wasn't as if anyone in Chinatown was in a great monetary position to be helping Shifu. Old Asian woman did what she could, but as work slowed down, had enough of a challenge trying to take care of herself. And you just starting out, contributing what you could manage, 
a bag of food or medicine, once in a while a piece of fish or meat. That's what you tell yourself, anyway. The truth being that if each of you had done a little, together it might have been enough. Older brother. Some say that the person who should have helped the most was in a position to help the most, having been Shifu's number one most naturally gifted kung fu superstar and training pupil all those years, and thus having reaped the greatest benefit from Shifu's teachings, was older brother. Not your actual older brother, better. Everyone's older brother, the prodigy, the homecoming king, unofficial mayor of the neighborhood, guardian of Chinatown. Once the heir apparent to Shifu, the two of them even starring together in a brief but notable project about father and son martial arts experts, logline, when political considerations make conventional military tactics impossible, the government calls on a highly secretive elite special ops force, a father-son duo among the best hand-to-hand fighters in the world, in order to get the job done, codename Twin Dragons. Older brother who never had to work his way up the ladder, never had to be a generic Asian man. Older brother who was born, bred, and trained to be and eventually did become Kung Fu Guy. Which meant, of course, making Kung Fu Guy money, which is good for your kind but still basically falls under the general category of secondary roles. Older brother. Like Bruce Lee, but also completely different. Lee being legendary, not mythical. Too real, too specific to be a myth. The particulars of his genius known and part of his ever-accumulating personal lore. Electromuscular stimulation. Ingesting huge quantities of royal jelly. And with his development of his own discipline, Jeet Kune Do, the creation of an entirely new fighting system and philosophical worldview. Bruce Lee was proof. Not all Asian men were doomed to a life of being generic. If there was even one guy who had made it, at least it was theoretically possible for the rest. But easy cases make bad law, and Bruce Lee proved too much. He was a living, breathing video game boss level, a human cheat code, an idealized avatar of Asianness and awesomeness permanently set on expert difficulty. Not a man so much as a personification, not a mortal so much as a deity on loan to you and your kind for a fixed period of time. A flame that burned for all yellow to understand, however briefly, what perfection was like. Older brother was the inverse. Not a legend, but a myth. Or a whole bunch of myths, overlapping, redundant, contradictory. A mosaic of ideas, a thousand and one puzzle pieces that tease you, let you see the edges of something, clusters here and there, just enough to keep hope alive that the next piece would be the one. The answer snapping into place, showing how it all fit together. Bruce Lee was the guy you worshipped. Older brother was the guy you dreamt of growing up to be. Begin older brother awesomeness montage. 
older brother always has the good hair, not the kind that goes straight up and then out at weird angles and with stupid cowlicks in the back and on the side and wherever else. Not the kind that makes you think of math club and pocket protectors. Older brother was blessed, among other things, with a rare phenotype, the kind of Asian dude hair with a slight wave to it, but always in a tight fade. Thick and black, but with brown or even red highlights. Older brother's kung fu is A++, obviously, but he isn't limited to just kung fu. He can also mess around with Muay Thai, is proficient in a couple forms of judo, and is definitely down with taekwondo, and its many strip mall variations. Its Brazilian grappling is legit if you care to go to ground with him, but you shouldn't, because in about eight seconds you'll be tapping the mat, asking him through tears of excruciating pain to please stop bending your arm that way. If you get older brother drunk enough, not that he ever really gets drunk, just sort of slightly faded. Older brother's legendary tolerance for alcohol, having been proven time and again in countless drinking games and late-night wagers, some fun, some not so fun, he will show you knife tricks that will leave you laughing and scared shitless at the same time. And he will do it effortlessly, knife in one hand, beer in the other, his long hair looking cool. It's not clear if he can dunk, no one's ever seen him try, but he can definitely grab the rim and that alone is pretty impressive given that he's 5'11 and 3 quarters, which for the record is the perfect height for an Asian dude. Tall enough for women to notice, even in heels, even white women, tall enough to not get ignored by the bartender but not so tall to get called Yao Ming and considered some kind of Mongolian freak. And if you get any ideas that you could take him in a bar fight or on the basketball court or anywhere else, you'll quickly find out the hard way what a bad idea that is. Guys don't want to fight him anyway. They call him Bruce. Yo-yo, I've seen Fists of Fury like a hundred times. Or Jackie or Jet Li. And he's cool with it all. Whatever the vibe, wherever it's coming from. Everyone admired his level of comfort, moving in and out of language and subculture. Backroom poker game to dudes on the corner looking for trouble, to the octogenarians playing Go or Mahjong at the Benevolent Family Association. Older brother's reach and influence was not limited to the Middle Kingdom and its ethnic diaspora, but extended into other neighboring domains. He could sing karaoke with a Japanese salaryman, could polish off two plates of duboki slathered in a tangy, blood-red gochujang, wash it down with a bottle of milky soju, all while beating the pants off the K-Town regulars at their own drinking games, dropping some of his passable Korean, mostly curse words, in the process. Older brother was never in a gang, not even close, makes a point of not even being loosely affiliated with a triad or watching, yet somehow manages it so that those scary dudes are still cool with him.
He gives them their distance, and they do the same with him, a form of silent respect. On top of all this, Elder Brother was a National Merit Scholar, 1570 on the SAT. Everyone has their own story about Elder Brother. Man, you don't even know. Last week I saw him at Jackson and 11th. What was he doing? Chin-ups on the crossbar of the traffic signal. I saw him too. No, you didn't. I did. He was doing them one-handed. No shit one-handed. Obi doesn't mess around with regular chin-ups. Not like your weak sauce. Your weak sauce. Say that again to my face. Your weak sauce. Shut up, idiots. Did one of you really see older brother? Yeah, like I said, chin-ups. Did like 50 of them. More like 70. With his left hand. He's left-handed, dumbass. Older brother is left-handed? Come on. You're the dumbass, dumbass. He's ambidextrous. You're both dumbasses. That's pretty much how it goes with older brother stories piled on more stories, conflicting, combining, cancelling each other out. In the end, you're not sure how much of it's real and how much is local lore. Exploits that over the years have expanded. But in any case, it doesn't matter. Even if older brother were not actually a real person, he would still be the most important character in some yet-to-be-conceived story of Chinatown. Would still be a be real in everyone's minds and hearts, the mythical Asian-American man, the ideal mix of assimilated and authentic, plus the bonus, a viable romantic lead. Older brother is the guy who makes every kid in Chinatown want to be better, taller, stronger, faster, more mainstream, and somehow less at the same time. Makes every one of makes every one of you want to be cooler than you're supposed to be, than you're allowed to be. Gives you permission to try. For a brief period during Older Brother's ascendancy, all felt right. What was happening was what was meant to happen. The chosen one, the best and brightest and most conventionally handsome by Western standards. He had worked his way up in the system, had reached his designated station of maximal achievement. All other Asian men stood in his shadow, feeling anything was possible, or, if not anything, then at least something. Something was possible. You put your heads on pillows at night and went to sleep dreaming of what it would look like to be part of the show, lie awake wondering how much higher older brother might rise within black and white. What that would mean for the rest of you. And then you woke up one morning and it was over. The dream had ended. Older brother was no longer kung fu guy. The details secret, the official story that it just didn't work out. The upshot for all of you was no more kung fu guy. Somehow, the golden era of older brother was over, without warning or fanfare or any kind of reason, really. Or at least, no official reason. Unofficially, we understood. There was a ceiling. Always had been, always would be. Even for him. Even for our hero, 
There were limits to the dream of assimilation, to how far any of you could make your way into the world of black and white. It was probably for the best, for him personally anyway. Older brother, despite all of his success, never seemed entirely comfortable with his preordained place in the hierarchy, was never totally down with the whole career track, didn't see himself as a kung fu guy, and he wasn't wrong. His kung fu was too pure, too special to be used, the way that everyone knew it would be, flashy, stupid shit. The same moves everyone had seen a million times, and yet still wanted him to trot out for every wedding and lunar new year celebration. Better that fame had never happened on him to preserve his claim for posterity. Better to be a legend than a star. And older brother awesomeness montage. A performer may be taken in by his own act, convinced at the moment that the impression of reality which he fosters is the one and only reality. In such cases, we have a sense in which the performer comes to be his own audience. He comes to be the performer and observer of the same show. Irving Goffman